0: The world beneath our feet is a mystery. It's a mix of the geological and archaeological, of natural and cultural traces layered up to produce the surface on which we walk. In some places, we're aware of traces of this, small nuggets of narrative of the past, which seem to heave their way to the surface. But for the most part, it's invisible, and it's hard to see or sense. How can we cast our minds into the subsurface? And imagine the hidden worlds beneath our feet My name's Rose Farraby and I'm an archaeologist and artist I co-direct the Old Roman Town Project in North Yorkshire And this year I've been collaborating with Rob St John on the Soundmarks Project
1: Hello, I'm Rob, I'm an artist based in Lancashire uh, we're going to guide you through our collaboration over the last year or so in Soundmarks, reflecting on themes to do with art, archaeology, landscape and the subsurface, and how we've explored these themes with creative practices. The
0: village of Olborough in North Yorkshire looks to the untrained eye like a very traditional village. It's got some beautiful old buildings, a village green and a maypole, and the flag flies on top of the church. But underneath Olbro, hidden beneath the streets and the fields, a secret lies. There's a Roman town there, which was once the capital of the Brigantes tribe. Isurium Brigantum, as it was called in Roman times, was, very unlike the village today, a busy hub. It was full of people and movement. It was a trading town, so we had the, the ebb and flow of materials coming in and out. The buildings in the town were monumental. In the centre we have the Limestone Forum, twice the size of the current village church. It would have shone out in the landscape and around it we saw the red sandstone of the public buildings and houses and the large warehouses to the north. This is a town that you would have seen as you were coming in from miles away and you'd have heard the noise of people and animals. It was a vibrant spot. But all this life and this long history of movement and of people, has largely been lost. So how do we begin to understand and to communicate the complexity of this rich archaeological history? That there was a Roman town beneath Albrea and has been known about for some significant amount of time. So before archaeology was even a discipline, people were interested in what was happening here. We've got letters from the vicar in the village to some of the greatest archaeological names in the 17th and 18th centuries as they began to unfurl the story of the village. In 2009, we began our own project here. And using geophysical survey, we were able to, without even putting a spade in the ground, map large areas of inside the town and out in the area beyond. So looking at the field systems, the roads and things like the burial areas. And this gave us a very different impression of the Roman town. From having a few limited small holes which were indicating where the line of the town wall was or particular buildings, we were suddenly able to see the town within its landscape and not just that but the, the chronologies of features so we could begin to understand how one thing had followed on from the next and the landscape around Albra became completely animated and full of history and what that enabled us to do was to begin telling the overall story of Albra so beginning to look at the origins of the Roman town how it ended and how it evolved into the to the village we see today But we've also begun to look further back as well and to look at the broader environmental picture of Olbra. Using geoarchaeological research, by putting boreholes in down by the river, we've been able to understand the longer environmental history of the site, so the setting. Why is the land the shape it is in a broad sense? So we've discovered ancient river channels that wound their way underneath the ground, which now are just fields of wheat, So the knowledge that we've managed to acquire over the course of the project is allowing us to not only understand the layers of what's beneath the ground, but also the different materials and feel of that. So one of the things that I most love about being an archaeologist is that when you're in a trench, you become completely absorbed in this feeling your way through the landscape You get to know a site by the sounds that define the different layers, by the feel of your trowel as it swoops through clays or silts or very fine um, charcoal-y deposits, and your whole body becomes attuned to this very particular place and its very particular archaeology. It's what really seems to excite people. It's this material contact with the subsurface and with these pasts that lie beneath it. So the small fragments of lives that we get to see, the the fragmentation of time. So sometimes we can be working within uh, layers which indicate maybe a couple of weeks or a couple of months, and at other times we seem to jump maybe two centuries in a very short space of time. So all the time we're piecing together these chronologies that aren't just about history on a broad spectrum, but they're also about telling these small stories And I think it's this lovely uh, way these two things go hand in hand that is one of the wonderful things about archaeology, the broad and the very, very specific...
1: So we began our collaboration on Soundmarks in the in the midwinter, uh, in the early months of 2019, and I visited Aldborough for the first time uh, to walk around the, the village. And my work has taken me to a lot of places in the world, but I don't think I've ever started work on a project in a place that is so cryptic and seemingly unwilling to give up its secrets. On first inspection, this just seemed like a very pretty, well-to-do village in North Yorkshire, hung heavy with the with the midwinter uh, fog over the over the River Plain. But it wasn't until I started to walk and listen to Rose and to hear about the various ways that her and her collaborators had, in, had investigated um, the subsurface landscapes that lie beneath your feet at Albrea, that things slowly started to fall into place. So my mind started to whir into, well, actually, if this collaboration is about the blurrings of art and archaeology, and what are the big questions that we're investigating here? How do we imagine the unseen, the unheard, the lost how might complex cryptic landscapes like this inspire and shape creative practices so in essence what we're talking about is how creative practice might open up spaces for imagining and reimagining historical landscapes that we can't otherwise sense underneath our feet and the ways in which they seep into our everyday lives
0: Our geophysical surveys at the site involved using uh, magnetometer surveys. So this is where we uh, measure the magnetic response in the ground at different points. So in contrast to the local geology, some things will be more magnetic, so particularly burnt things like bricks or kilns or anything with large deposits of pottery. And then some things are less magnetic, like areas where you have a field with very little activity. And so by measuring these minute magnetic responses across large areas, we're able to get these um, monochromatic readouts from the computer, which give us a map of these subsurface features. And we begin to see the snaking forms of enclosures, the loop of the um, defensive circuit of the ditches, and then the fine scribe lines of buildings and pillars and streets within the town In May this year, 2019, we had our annual excavation of the project. We had put a trench in in the north of the town to investigate between two uh, intersecting roads. Once we'd removed the turf, we started to reveal wonderful things like the street surface and the different textures of the areas where we had compact floors and a blacksmith's workshop which was made of these fine laminated uh, rake-out deposits from the furnace. And as we dug through, it was uh, amazing to feel all the different uh, materials and to realise that um, so much of what we do archaeologically is is not just about looking and adding together these different components, but it's about feeling your way through the earth and really having an attachment to that place. But it's also about listening. As an archaeologist, we realise that you're attuned to different materials and to the way that the mattock sings as it goes through uh, a gravel there, or the way it chunks as it hits a bit of chalk or an area of pottery.
1: So it was around this time that we found out that Soundmarks had been successful in getting funding from Arts Council England. Thanks, guys. And so our collaboration could really begin... So I came and spent some time making a pest of myself around the trench uh, in May in the beautiful early summer weather. This was the first time I'd really spent a great deal of time around archaeologists and particularly that kind of archaeological way of knowing and understanding a landscape. So it was really fascinating for me to hang out with a variety of of microphones on the trench edge and as rose says it's kind of this this sensory way of knowing sight of knowing the subsurface that really stood out to me This, you know in terms of sound and the way that tools move through material but also in terms of touch and the way that you know archaeologists using these quite blunt tools the big old um, because she's a pickaxe with a flat head, but using them in a very kind of um, subtle way that seemed to be all about touch. And through these kind of sensory um, engagements with a very small patch of land and trench... Um, there was this real skilled piecing together of seemingly very cryptic or abstract pieces of material. And it, it kind of blew my mind every day to see, you know, these little shards of something brown or something um, something grey and being told, well, this is a part of something a lot more significant. And this slow sensory piecing together, this undersoil archive, um, was something quite remarkable and it started to germinate ideas in my head about how this sight might be expressed through sound.
0: So having Rob around on site was a real inspiration. I've worked a little bit with sound before but not to this degree and not being able to play with these different kinds of microphones and to have these conversations about what it all meant and what it opened up. And one evening, Rob and I went back to site and we played around with getting out the tools and the planning frame that we use on site and attaching uh, contact microphones to the surface of them. So the first one we tried, we attached it to the head of the mattock and then just experimented with dragging the mattock through the soil
1: and seeing what sounds it made. So just as Rose and her collaborators have a toolkit with which they investigate landscape, Uh, I have my own sound toolkit, a variety of different microphones and recorders that I use on various um, commissions in different places, each of which do very specific things and record sound in different ways. So the contact microphones that Rose was just talking about, these are essentially um, coin-sized coated microphones that you can clip to, uh, tape to, Uh, wedge into various bits of the landscape, whether that's materials, whether that's objects, or whether that's the ground or vegetation. And what contact microphones do is they transmit vibration. And so sound fundamentally is vibration of sound waves through air. We can also think about sound in the way that it travels through material as vibrations. And so what contact mics do is they allow us to... Uh, amplify and uh, hear through different objects and so we were putting these contact mics on um, the planning frames which are used to mark out one meter squared areas of a trench the strings that crisscross these frames suddenly became like low thuds and clunks, almost like a double bass the mattock used for scraping out various bits of material, that kind of rumbled and and groaned. A soil sieve used to um, sort the wheat from the chaff, I suppose, in the in the trench. Uh, when clipped with the contact mics, the soil moving through it became like a waterfall or an avalanche. Suddenly, the sounds that you're hearing through these archaeological objects of use have the potential to evoke whole different sound worlds. So this is a recording taken with contact microphones on a very tall and thick stem of Himalayan balsam near the old quarry. Uh, And this was taken in a rainstorm one morning when Rose and I were walking and we were sheltering from the downpour really and thinking, ah, crikey, what are we going to record today in this? Uh, It really wasn't weather to be outside. Anyway, Rose suggested putting these contact microphones on the hollow stem of the balsam, and this is what we heard.
0: When those mics were attached to that Himalayan balsam and I put the headphones on, it was as though a completely different landscape emerged through sound. It was a really strange experience of feeling like you'd been transported inside that stalk and that suddenly you were hearing everything from within it. So the raindrops echoed and plonked and jiggled as they went down the stem, and then the odd plop uh, drops hit the leaves. But the other beautiful thing is that you can hear the birdsong drifting through the stem of the plant... And it somehow made you feel like your whole perspective of that place had changed and that you were suddenly zoomed in to a very, very specific thing. And this ability to shift in perspective through sound is something that I've really, really loved within this
1: project. Other microphones that we started to experiment with on site included hydrophones, which are underwater microphones, Um, close by to this open trench, uh, the river Eur kind of lazily bends and great big uh, meanders across a floodplain. Um, We start experimenting with lowering lowering these hydrophones into the river, a process akin to fishing for sound, I suppose, um, and hearing subsurface in a different way, underwater worlds, um, the click and pop of the photosynthesis of aquatic plants, um, their rhythms defined by sunlight and shadow um, as if they're they're composed by the sun, um, and the stridulations of, of insects communicating, rubbing their back legs together. Like the contact microphones, the hydrophones reveal lively, dynamic, animate worlds in parts of the landscape that might otherwise seem inanimate or lifeless. And so the subsurface as a concept just slowly started to expand with these experiments. What if we thought about it not only as a subsurface of the ground, but also the subsurface of material, the subsurface of the water? What if these subsurface recordings had the potential to be manipulated and represented and to evoke new imaginings of the same landscape from which they've been recorded. This is a recording taken using hydrophones uh, underneath the water at the Old Quay on the meander of the river.
0: Being able to hear these amazing sounds emerging from beneath the river at this busy life scrambling along underneath the surface gives back a life to the river which you feel it once had archaeologically as well at one point this was a an arterial route um, bouncing with the ebb and flow of boats and materials coming up and down it would have been full of voices and
1: things moving we might think about this as an expanded form of listening and I think techniques like this are exciting in calling attention to the worlds above and beyond our normal sensory perceptions. We also use microphones that record the open-air soundscape, such as binaural microphones which sit in your ears and record a 360-degree soundscape around your head. This was taken on the lane leading down to the Old Quay.
0: this magnificent thrush that was just blasting out a tune and that not only lodged that recording in a very particular time of year and a very particular place in Oldborough but the lovely thing was is it also came out through lots of other recordings so as we would put contact microphones on a a metal gate we could still hear the thrush wootling through the metal
1: We also used incredibly sensitive microphones on uh, very long wires. We lowered one of these down the six-meter-deep borehole on the on the river plain, which slowly became more more claustrophobic as kind of descended into the earth. The rattles of the of the soil and the peat disintegrating at the side of the core suddenly sounded like avalanches. Um, splashing into the into the groundwater at the base. This is a recording made with this microphone, the Lom Uzi, taken down a borehole in the Lost River Channel.
0: Rob and I sat in the middle of a wheat field making this recording as the rain clouds sort of gathered over us and when Rob had connected up the microphone uh, with the headphones on you could hear the sound of the wheat shifting around in the wind and rustling and then as he lowered it down into what is only really a five centimetre diameter hole um, the sound did this amazing thing where... It was like a wind tunnel sucking you in. And suddenly, if you shut your eyes, you were no longer sitting in a wheat field with a microphone down a hole. You were suddenly in a cavernous space, um, a huge sort of subterranean, I don't know, undercutting or something. And it was amazing the way through that one microphone being lowered you got this huge transformation in sense of place and sense of space and your imagination could just be set wild. This hole had been created by our colleagues taking a six metre deep core from the ground and within this six metres they'd taken silts, um, an alluvium and then at the very bottom rich peat thick with um preserved waterlogged wood. And at that level, at the very bottom, we'd gone down back into the Mesolithic. So this hole that was left was the evidence of over 10,000 years of time in
1: Earth. We also used microphones which can pick up electromagnetic fields. Again, making a walk around Oldborough, uh, a totally different listening experience to that that you'd experience just with your ears as you move in in and out of different electromagnetic fields near phone masts, telephone wires, and you would hear these clicks and pops and drones and scrapes. So this is a recording of the electromagnetic fields taken as we walked up the lane from the river back into the village at dusk one evening.
0: The amazing uh, rasps and beeps and judders of the electromagnetic microphone really reverberate with the other sorts of signals which we've used archaeologically on the site. So the maps that we've been able to create of the subsurface have been entirely from the idea of bouncing signals back and forth through the Earth, be they magnetic or radar, So these invisible sound waves that we were somehow picking up on with these electromagnetic responses really seemed to key in with that idea of the invisible. How can we sense the solid through the invisible?
1: So this couple of months of the early summer in 2019 spent sound recording and and walking the village together was really the first way in which our kind of our shared interests um, and disciplines of art and archaeology started to to blur and to fuse, I suppose. And in a way, thinking about Aldborough as a place, I don't know if anybody knows it above and below ground as well as Rose does, given that she grew up nearby and has been studying it for so long. And it was this kind of... Uh, this rhythm and repetition of walking, of listening in more ways than one, that kind of led us to start to or led me rather to start to understand which parts of the village have been busy in the past and which, been, which have been quiet, whether that 's you know in terms of people or whether it 's um, magnetically now in the in the archaeological traces that are detected, uh, which parts of the of the village have been spacious and which would be more close. Which ones have been in in dynamism and flux, and which have been relatively stable? All these kind of like long-term landscape patterns and processes that are completely abstract to me when I first came to the village. And so we'd made this archive of sound recordings together. Um, Rose became very adept with all these different mics and more often than not made better recordings than I did by the end. And through this work, we isolated and identified eight sites or sound marks, if you will, through the village that we knew we wanted to focus in, in terms of making our work. And these were the amphitheatre at the top of the village, the mosaics field, where the English Heritage Museum is now, the village green, where the stocks still remain, the forum, which would have been the beating heart of the village, walking down the lane to an old Roman quay, along the river plain to a lost river channel, back up to the defences and walls, and then the old quarry on the edge of town, now overgrown, and so these became the focus of the next part of our project. So the sound mark was a term proposed by the academic and composer Armory Schaefer at the World Soundscape Project in Canada in the 1970s, and Schaefer imagined the sound mark as the kind of the oral equivalent of the landmark, something that we hear that reminds us of a very specific place or site. We chose the term Soundmark for this project so we wanted to investigate and express elements of the Oldborough landscape uh, through sound as well as through visual art. Schaefer's notion of the sound mark comes in for some quite justified criticism these days for being too fixed and too fixated on specific sounds which are rated as either good or bad, as you know, um, desirable or, or, or as polluting. And we wanted to kind of move beyond that to offer a kind of more dynamic idea of how sound might shape place. So the next set of questions became how might we use this archive of site-specific, if often abstracted field recordings that we'd made to narrate and express different sound marks in Oldborough and their histories? And how might our shared fieldwork begin to shape Rose's visual practices here?
0: In some ways, it was easy because I was drawing on a whole wealth of knowledge and visual data and Rob's sound work and all the the information that we'd been gathering through the Roman Town Project. And it was a matter of somehow trying to sift through all this information to work out what it was about each place, each of those eight sites, which made it um, both part of that landscape as a whole, but also uh, an individual archaeological subsurface world. In this way, it was also quite difficult because I wanted to try and bring together aspects of um, visual work which we'd already done. So things like aerial photography or the geophysics, but also a more abstract sense of that place. And I had to choose whether to do something that was a vertical view or a, a stratigraphic view or something that completely abstracted those ideas altogether. So I used a technique which I've been using in my paintings for a little while, which is a sort of wax resist and watercolour. I used oil pastels to start off with, often in a neutral colour, so I couldn't actually see the marks that I was making on the paper. And I wanted it to be loose and just to respond to the image that was in my head as to what made that place. But very often I'd also listen to the recordings that we'd made on site as well. So the marks were made up of a sort of sonic response as well as a... Uh, and a more imagined visual one. And after that, I layered on gouache to begin to get a sense of that space. And that sort of layering up, especially in reaction to that resist that we got with that invisible, neutral oil pastel, was something that really chimed with my archaeological thinking, the way that things reveal themselves from the land. The paintings themselves also had to act as a, a group. They were going to be displayed all together in an exhibition, and I wanted them to work as a set that chimed with each other. And the way I did that was by using a very similar colour scheme. So I picked out the very particular um, tones which seemed to characterise Albra So the red sandstone that we find in the village, um, the sort of greenish blue clay that we find in lots of the footings of the Roman buildings that was quarried nearby the sort of sandy russets of the soil and the loam. And it was that which really kind of held the the eight paintings together.
1: So for me, Rose's paintings model space and time and scale in some really, really interesting ways. Their kind of tonality is drawn from the landscape, but the the shapes themselves could be, you know, seen from an aeroplane or seen from inside a trench. There is this kind of... Um, this patterning of a landscape that is at once, um, felt and real whilst at the same time imagined and imaginative. Um, their marks and their, their visual rhythms seem to somehow take their cues from some of the sounds that we recorded at this particular sites, um. The ways that um, her mark making has echoed almost like a, a tracing of the sounds themselves. So once we got all our sound recordings and our paintings, uh, I went through the last process of mixing. Uh, the sound installation to be heard in the gallery and the series of eight sound marks to be heard on a sound trail that could be heard through uh, through the town. And I used a variety of production techniques using our archive of hours and hours of um, of recordings as my compositional clay, if you will. Uh, used a number of techniques to kind of abstract and make um, ambient some of these recordings. Uh, used a technique called granular synthesis, which essentially erodes or dissolves, depending on your preferred metaphor, a piece of sound into into tiny grains, which are then reassembled, reformed in real time. So it takes something that is incredibly sighted and particular and reshapes into something that is essentially taken from the same palette but reshaped into something brand new. Granular synthesis gives us a way of alternating in sound between the abstract and the particular. You end up with these washes of ambient sound with occasional fragments of something recognisable or placeable. A phenomenon that reminds me of the way that archaeologists act in the trench, that kind of sifting through layers and layers of abstract material and piecing together stories, narratives through fragments of found things. I used a technique called convolution reverb, which recreates the the sounds of different spaces um, and the way that a sound might Echo uh, down to silence. So for the for the bigger sites um, such as the forum, I used reverb sampled from nearby York Minster to give that long, open decay um, of sound to evoke a, a feeling of spaciousness. I also made with my collaborator Pete Harvey uh, graphic scores using Rose's interpretations of the geophysics of the site, these dots and lines of landscape as seen from above. We overlaid um, musical staves on these um, landscape patterns and attempted to play back uh, the rhythms, the chords, the melodies that were, uh, that were generated. Sometimes these sounded like eternal noise. And I mean, I like eternal noise, but it was a bit much, even for me. So some of them were used uh, in their pure, let's say, form. They were translated into a a musical language called MIDI, which then means you can play back on any instrument you like and play back a lot of things on harps. And some of these graphic scores were then... um, again abstracted using granular synthesis and convolution reverb. Uh, I like this technique because it's another way of kind of generative chance composition, a way of letting the landscape, its rhythms and its histories um, determine to an extent what comes out in the compositions. So during Rob's post-production
0: work, um, I went along to his studio to see how some of these processes worked. And... The thing that really, really um, caught my imagination was the granular synthesis. And on the screen, what we could see was the um, the layers of sound in in stratigraphic form, almost. And having come just off-site and seen our geoarchaeologists taking samples from the section of the trench, taking, again, long vertical cores out in order to bury into those and really sort of look at the, the minutiae of them... It really had a resonance back and forth with the work that Rob was doing and I loved the way that these little nuggets could be looped or they could be overlain, or stretched and made slow or compacted and speeded up and for me that seems like the very essence of archaeology.
1: In August 2019, we launched our sound trail around Aldborough, in which visitors can access through a variety of mobile devices, both off and online, um, a sound trail through the village, in which they can hear Rose narrate a little bit about each site. And then here my sound work for each individual site created using the techniques that we've talked about so far. We held an exhibition and installation at the shed, the gallery at the centre of Aldborough, at which you could see all eight of Rose's visual pieces and here my long form sound installation. We also held a book launch of a short run artist book that we we designed and published together, um, which was launched alongside two guest talks from Dr. Josh Smith and Dr. Leslie Mcfadden uh, and an artist Q&A.
0: One of the real joys of the exhibition was getting to hear people's responses as they came and looked at the pieces. Often as people came through the door, you could see their heads rise slightly as they suddenly tuned into Rob's sound work and it was really interesting to see how people began to make the connections between what they were hearing about the archaeological work uh, or what they already knew about the landscape if they were local and then the quite abstract images and sound that they were faced with. A number of people had already been on the sound trail and were coming in after that and it was wonderful to hear how they felt it had changed that landscape for them. So for some locals who walk their dogs on that route every day or walk around it at the weekend with their kids they were talking about how it had opened up a different world for them and how, forevermore, they were going to think about very different things as they walked that circuit. And for other people, I think it really began to open up that possibility that wherever you walk, there's something really interesting underneath the ground and that things aren't always what they seem. I think what it did was really begin to focus people's attention and give a a slowness and an attentive approach to that landscape where the past and the present became linked through material forms, that a slope in a, a wheat field was suddenly revealed to be an ancient, ancient river channel, or a particular rise might be a wall of a, the Roman town. And I think it's those small pieces, it doesn't matter how much people actually took away of the archaeology itself, but it was that blossoming interest and awareness in what the ground held, and these amazing possibilities, and that You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to know the specifics to imagine.
1: Yeah, it's like an expanded sense of both the past and the present, I guess, and these little moments of stopping, slowing down, being attentive. And if we've achieved that in any way, then, yeah, I'd be quite chuffed, I guess. (laughs) So everything we've done... In sound Marks is now up on our project website, soundmarks.co.uk. Images, sound, films, a project blog detailing our discoveries, our failures. But to swoop right back to the start of this, and we were asking, how might we imagine the subsurface, the unseen? How might complicated and cryptic landscapes like this inform, shape, and inspire creative practice. I've learnt a lot about the archaeological eye and ear in interpreting the landscape. This has encouraged a whole new set of sound practices which consider the subsurface not only as through ground beneath our feet, but also as through different materials and objects in the landscape. And actually then, going below the subsurface in the landscape doesn't necessarily involve a journey down, but instead a journey out, an expanded form of of listening and being attentive to the landscape, its hidden patterns and processes, and being open to being challenged and surprised by the things that you encounter... And to use these sounds that you record, the site-specific and non-specific some of the time, as a compositional palette with which to evoke um, histories, past landscapes, and the way that landscapes seep into the present, whether that's through sound or whether that's through visual art, So this expanded sense of the subsurface has been one of the ways, I think, for me at least, that art and archaeology have blurred in a productive way in this project.
0: For a long time within archaeology, uh, there's been an awareness that working within uh, creative practice and the arts can really bring something new and fresh to the discipline. And that's been done in a number of different ways. Here, I think, a large part of what has worked is that we've allowed a a space to open up. Um, This hasn't just been about archaeology, but it's unravelled a place which we had a huge amount of rich and complex knowledge of, both in terms of archaeology, geology, but also um, a general sort of history of the place and a feel for it as well. And I think giving it that open sense has really allowed it to uh, meander and allow people in in a way which doesn't seem too uh, specific. One of the real pleasures of this project has been following these different processes that have rebounded and reflected and um, influenced one another in such interesting ways. And I think a large part of that has been the collaboration that we've had together. Rob and I, in our previous work, have both been really interested in how we can sort of fertile into landscapes, how we can be attentive to them and rootle out these really interesting little details and form much bigger narratives from those in very different ways. Rob with his more ecological, environmental approach and me with an archaeological one. But I think these have come together and using both Rob's sound and my visual art, we found these resonances and things have sort of echoed and mellowed around and the outcome itself we're we're really pleased with. But I think it's been that process and those um, the thinking that's gone along. These have been the things that have been the most important and I think have taken us the furthest on.
1: The ways in which this collaboration has played out has meant that the kind of interdisciplinarity of it hasn't felt forced or um, jarring in any way. What we've done, what we've found, is a really uh, useful way of documenting this collaboration is to keep a project blog Um, throughout and to publish an artist book, uh, both of which are all about process as much as they are about product.
0: And I think that idea also is what makes the work hopefully more open to other people, that it's not about being an artist or being an archaeologist, but by being able to see those processes that we went through, people can find the little nuggets that they're particularly interested in or think, I could do that too.
1: was funded by Arts Council England and carried out in partnership with English Heritage, the Oldborough Roman Town Project and Friends of Roman Aldborough. You can find out more at our website at soundmarks.co.uk